Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his young co-worker, Timothy. And, of course, he writes to give instructions to Timothy and also to the church at Ephesus. He had left him there at Ephesus. Paul had been there. Timothy was there. Paul left, leaving Timothy there. There's a lot that we can apply, not only for us individually, because he writes individually, but also as a local body. Now, last time we saw that Paul was dealing with false teachers. It's right at the very beginning of the letter, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all that deals with that issue and how Timothy was to deal with that. But as we continue this morning, we see the issue of the law. In fact, we saw that was right at the very end last time we talked a little bit about the law. And as we look at that this morning, Paul says the law is good if it is used correctly. Well, what, what do we mean? How, how is the law to be used? So let me raise some questions for you. First of all, what is the law? We're talking about the Mosaic law. In this passage, he's talking about Mosaic law, okay? The law that God gave to the nation of Israel, starting with the Ten Commandments, 613 total commandments. We'll talk about that in a minute. What is the law, Mosaic law? Are believers under the law? The third thing is, how is the law to be used? And then last but not least, how do we as believers live the Christian life? So we'll see that as we tie into that this morning. There's so much that we can know and apply. And we'll take time as we go through this. We'll go through the passage. But we're going to stop for a little bit and look at the whole aspect of the law. Well, you know, we have good news. And the good news is called the gospel, the good news message. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And all who believe in him have eternal life. That's the good news message. That's called the gospel. We're saved and saved forever. We'll be with Christ forever. But then the question comes is, as believers, then, how are we to live? we live the Christian life. There are some who teach that we're to live by the law, that we're to obey the commandments and the principles found in the law of Moses. In fact, there's one popular speaker who says, the Mosaic law is given to Christians as the rule of life. This is how we live. Now, I think that as you look at the, the scripture carefully, you'll find something different from that. In fact, Paul writes this. He says that believers are not under law, but under grace. In fact, he says Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. We find that we're to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. The Christian life is not lived under law, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, last week as we ended, because we talked about the law right at the end, we said this. The law does several things. First of all, the law shows sin. The law cannot save. The law brings a curse, because if you don't do everything in the law, you're under the curse of the law, which is separation from God, and the law cannot give power. Those four things we ended with. So here's the question that we talked about last week. If the law cannot save you, and it can because you can't keep the law, and if the law is not for the Christian life, we don't live the Christian life under the law, what is the purpose of the law? And we'll see that. Paul says the law is good if it's used properly, if it's used correctly. What is the purpose of the law? Well, as we study this morning, we want to take some time to look at the law, see how all this fits together. Let me break down the passage for you. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11 this morning. Verses 8, 9, and 10 deal with the purpose of the law. We'll see some things that he says, and I'm actually going to go to some other places just to kind of give you some ideas so you can understand it. And then we see the very end in verse 11 where Paul talks about his responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. And we'll talk about our responsibility of proclaiming in the gospel. Well, let's begin. We are seeing the first of three letters written by Paul, which are called pastoral epistles. It's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These were letters that were written by Paul, basically to individuals, but they were to help basically in the churches and how the, uh, the church was supposed to function and its leadership and relationships and all of those things. Paul has left Ephesus, which was the main one of the main churches of that time. You realize that 
You look in the Bible and you see, well, Ephesians. You say, yeah, there's Ephesians. That was the letter to the church at Ephesus. So you got Ephesians. And then you realize that First Timothy, even though it's written to Timothy, Timothy's in Ephesus. And so this letter is also written to the church at Ephesus. And then if you go over to the book of Revelation and you see that there are seven churches in the book of Revelation and there's messages to each of those seven churches, the church at Ephesus is mentioned there. So there are at least three letters in the Bible to this body of believers in the first century. So it's, it's got a lot in there. And this church was, was, a, was a great church. But what had happened, the best that we can tell from the, from the Scripture, is that there's some leaders in the church at Ephesus that had moved away from the truth. They were teaching strange things. And they were trying to put people under the Mosaic law. Meaning they said, in order for you to live as a Christian, you must go back to the law of Moses, and that's how you live. Now, there's some people who think the Christian life is lived under law even today. We'll talk more about it in just a second second we'll see how it fits together so paul has left he's gone to macedonia and he writes back to timothy and he says timothy here's what you need to do while you're left there you need to deal with false teachers you need to appoint leaders you need to deal with unity and relationships and the very first part of the letter was dealing on false teachers and now he's going to talk about the law and that raises the big question again What's the purpose of the law, the Mosaic law? Because that's what he's talking about here. How's it to be used? How do we make application? Well, we'll see. Notice, uh, let me give you a brief review because he's dealing, first of all, with false teachers. Look at verse 6. He said, for some men straying from these things, these things were the teaching of the, of the Word of God, instructions from the Bible, some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, things that don't mean anything, wanting to be teachers of the law. It literally says wanting to be law teachers. They were wanting to put people under the Mosaic law. It says this. They don't understand either what they're saying are matters about which they make confident uh, assertions. They don't understand. They said, he said they want to put people under law. Now, let me tell you something. You may not realize this, but there are churches today that want to put people under law. You may have grown up in a church that put people under law. Let me explain to you. Sometimes you go to churches and they say things like this. Uh, you, you can't dance. You can't wear shorts. You can't do this. You can't do this. They've got rules everywhere. I have to tell you a story. When I was coaching at Mississippi State, I had this good friend that moved to Missouri. And so he invited me up for the for a time to come see him. So I drove up there to see him. And he said, and he went to the church that I went to, which was a church like ours. It was a grace church. And so he said, hey, you got to see this. So we got in the car, and he drove me to this little church. I said, why are you taking me to this church? He says, you got to see this. So we opened, we went in. The church was not locked, and we opened the front doors of the church, and then you have that little foyer place, and then you go into the auditorium, and they had these doors. But right above it, it had this sign, and it said, the people in this church vow to do the following. We will not smoke, drink, play cards, go to movies, wear shorts. And they just listed, uh, like 50 things were listed there. And I thought, poor church, these people are under law. They put themselves under these standards and these laws that, that they see life as legalism. Here's what was happening. Apparently, in the church at Ephesus, there were people who moved away from truth, and they wanted to be law teachers. They wanted to put people under law. They were basically teaching that believers were to be under the law of Moses. What does Paul say about this? What about it? Are we under law? How do we live the Christian life? That was one of the questions. Well, notice it says they don't understand either what they're saying about matters or which they make confident uh, assertions. They, they don't understand. So Paul says, in contrast to the fact that they don't know, he says in verse 8, but we know, but we know that the law is good 
if one uses it lawfully. Now, in contrast to the fact that false teachers don't know, he says we do know. We know that the law is good. Now, when he's saying the law, he's talking about Mosaic law. And we're going to go more details in a minute, but you understand the Mosaic law was not the Ten Commandments. That's the top ten of the Mosaic law. Mosaic law was 613 commandments that God gave to Israel. We'll talk about it in just a minute. He says the law is good if it's used lawfully, if it's used correctly. So I want you to understand the law is good. It it is the perfect character of God. You understand that when you look in the law, especially if you start with the Ten Commandments, you see the perfect character of God. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you realize you can't keep those Ten Commandments. Nobody's ever kept in the Ten Commandments except Jesus Christ and He's God. So because the law is the character of God. We'll talk more about it in just a second. So he says this, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And in the Greek, that's what they call the third class if, which means maybe, maybe not. He says the law is good if maybe or maybe not it's used the right way. How is the law to be used? How do we look at the law? What do we think about all of that? Well, let me give you what I want to do is I want you to look at several things, okay? First of all, uh, the first one is, what is the law? We're going to look at that. Now, this, this is wrong. It should say some facts about the law, okay? So what is the law? Second question is, what are, what are some facts about the law? Third is the purpose of the law. Fourth is the limits of the law. And then last but not least, how believers are to live the Christian life. So think about it. What's the law? What's some facts about the law? What are the purposes of the law? What are the limits of the law? And how are we as believers to live? Are we under the law? Are we under the Mosaic law? How does it fit? Well, let's start with the first question, what is the law? The law, of course, is the Mosaic law. That's what we're talking about. Given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai from God to Moses. If you remember, the nation of Israel was in Egypt. They were 400 years in bondage there. God raised up Moses and led the nation out. They got to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. The nation of Israel, two to three million people, came out and crossed the Red Sea. And then the water fell back on the Egyptians. And after they got across, they wandered for a while and they came to a place called Mount Horab or Mount Sinai. Same place. Moses went on top of the mountain and got two tablets. Now, if you picture the big things coming down like this, they probably were not. In fact, if you look at the scripture carefully in the passage, it says that he held them in his hand. They were probably round. They were probably two round dishes looking things that had what we call the Ten Commandments written on them. And he came down off that mountain. And before he came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the nation of Israel had already broken every one of them. So when he got to the bottom of the mountain, he threw them down and broke them. And God told him to go back up on the mountain. He said, break, throw them down and break them because they've already broken them. And so he went back up on the mountain and God gave him more commandments. 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. Dealing with not only sacrifices, but the social code, the clothes you could wear, the food you could eat, how you did this, how you took care of the animals, what you did on certain days of the week, what sacrifices you offered, how the priest could wear his clothes, everything. Everything was in there. 613 commandments. That's the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law cannot be divided. You can't say, well, just take the Ten Commandments out of the Mosaic Law. That's not how it works. Mosaic Law can't be broken. The Word of God doesn't be broken. It's not broken up that way. So there's the Mosaic Law. So when you say, what is the law? It's at least it's the 613 commandments given by God to Moses to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. Okay. Second, let me give you some facts about the law. And the first one is this. The law was given to the nation of Israel, not to the church. Romans chapter 9 verse 4 says that the, law, the nation of Israel are the ones who got the law. If you go back to Exodus 19, it was the nation of Israel who, who Moses got the law and gave it down to him, the end to them. Second thing, 
Christ fulfilled the law. Now you understand that Jesus Christ lived his entire life under the Mosaic law. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time God brought forth his son born of a woman born under the law. Jesus Christ was Jewish. Jewish. Jesus Christ kept the Mosaic law perfectly. Nobody else ever did that. But when it says that he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled it because he kept the law perfectly. And then number two, not only did he keep it, but he paid the penalty of the law. The law says the soul that sins shall die. The law says the wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ took our place because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is his character, which is the perfect law. And so we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus Christ took our place and paid the penalty of the law, which is the wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ died for us and rose again. So Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by not only keeping it perfectly, but paying the penalty of the law. The third thing is that Christians are not under the law. Romans 10.4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We're going to talk about the purpose of the law in just a minute. But when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're not under any kind of law, system, Mosaic law especially. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. So I want you to understand, if somebody has taught you that you are to live by the Mosaic law, you are not. You're not under that. We'll talk more in just a minute. Here it goes to this, the big third big question is, what is the purpose or purposes of the law? Because there's more than one. First of all, it is this. A, it is to show God's holiness. Romans 7 verse 12 says, the law is perfect and holy. The law is the character of God. When you look at the law, you say, that's Perfect. Yeah, it is. It is. It shows the character of God. It, it does that. Second, the law set the nation of Israel apart. It set them apart. When they came out of Egypt, they went on top of that mountain. They came back down. They had all this law system and the sacrificials and the clothes and all of those things. The Bible says, what other people did God give such a law? No other people. It made the Jewish people, and he uses this term, it sounds funny to us, but he says they are going to be my peculiar people. And when we hear the word peculiar, we think weird. But the word peculiar doesn't mean weird in the, in the Bible. It means unique, special. He said, I'm going to set my people apart. I'm going to give them the law and make them a unique, peculiar, separate people. The third thing that the purpose of the law is that it shows that man is a sinner. Romans 3, 19 and 20, we know that whatever the law says, it says that those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. It says, for the law comes the knowledge of sin. When you look at the law, you realize you are a sinner. You look at the law and you go, I can't keep that. I've broken that. I've done that. I've done. Okay, you're a sinner. The law shows that you are a sinner. All of us need to know. That we are sinners. That's what the law does. And then last but not least, the fourth thing, the law points the way to Christ. That's Galatians chapter 3. Now let me explain something to you. Here's what Galatians 3 verse 24 says. Listen carefully. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now I want you to understand something. When you say the word tutor... Like you say, you got a tutor, I need a tutor. You mean somebody's going to teach you. You like sit right there, tutor says, okay, here's the way you do that. In the Greek, that word tutor doesn't mean your teacher. It meant someone that took you somewhere. It was used of a slave that, that the master would say, 
take my son so he can learn something. And so the tutor would come in and say, come here. And you'd grab the guy by the arm and he would take him so he could be instructed. So the tutor is not the teacher. The tutor is the one who takes somebody so they can learn. That's why this says, therefore, the law has become our tutor. It's not our teacher, but it takes us. It leads us to Christ that we could be justified by faith. When we look at the law, we say, I can't keep that. And the law says, yeah, look look over here. Jesus is the answer. Takes us to Christ. The law points us to Christ to save us. That's what the whole point is. The law points us so that we can believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. The law was given to Israel to set them apart. When anyone looks at the law, they realize they cannot keep it, and it points them to the Savior. So bottom line, if somebody said to you, what's the purpose of the law? You could say, it's for the nation of Israel and show the character of God and all that, but the bottom line is the law shows people are sinners and need a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Okay? Well, we're not through because what we need to see is the limits of the law. And there's two things here. First of all is this. The law cannot save you. It cannot give eternal life. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be justified by the law. You know why? Because you can't keep it. You can't keep the law. You can't be good enough to do it. There are people throughout our culture and in churches and all the time telling people, if you'll just do good, you can get to God. If you'll just try to live a good life, if you'll try to keep the Ten Commandments, if you'll try to do this, if you'll try to do this, you can't do it. The law cannot save you. Galatians 3.21 talks about the law does not have the, it does, it cannot save you. So understand that nobody's ever been saved by the law because nobody can keep the law. Second thing, though, it cannot give you power, Galatians 3.2. That's why you can't live the Christian life by the, by the law, because the law didn't give you the power to live the Christian life. The law is a set of rules. The law can say, this is wrong, 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 right, 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 but it doesn't give you the power to not do the wrong and to do the right. It doesn't give you the power. That's why the Christian life is not lived by the law, by the law and the rules. It's just not done that way. So... That's why the law can't save you. That's why salvation is not by the law, because you can't keep it. And the law didn't give you power. That's why the Christian life is not under the power of the law, because the law has no power. So that takes us to the big question. Well, then how do we as believers live the Christian life? How do we do it if it's not law? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, 16, Ephesians 5, 19. Now, I want you to see something, because I don't want you to be confused, because you're going to see a term. If you read through the Bible, you'll find something. We're not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses cannot save us. The law of Moses cannot empower us to live the Christian life. We live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see something. I want you to hold your place there and turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I want you to see a term that is used in the Bible, and I want to explain it to you so you can see how it is. Because when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, as you're turning there, just listen to me. As you're, control, as you're turning there, listen to this. As you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, what comes out in your life? We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Is that correct? And the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? What's the first one? It's love, right? 
Okay, I want you to see something. When you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, what comes out in your life is love. Of course, there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. And we're going to talk more about that verse in a minute. But listen to this. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this is not the law of Moses. This is the law of Christ. The law of Christ is called the law of love. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you live out what is called the law of Christ, which means you live a life of love. Do you remember they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, out of all the commandments, what's the top commandment? And Jesus said, do you remember what he said? You shall what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And the second one is equal to the first one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The commandment that Jesus talks about, which is called the law of Christ, is the law of love. We live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit, exhibiting the love of Jesus Christ. Not Mosaic law, but the love of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the law of Christ. It's often called the law of love. Now, I want to read something to you. You don't have to turn there. But you can write down the verse. It's John 13, verses 34 and 35. Listen to what Jesus says, John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's why it's called the law of Christ. This is his command to us as Christians. It is not Mosaic law that he says, now go back and get those 613 commandments. He says, no, no, a new commandment I give you. This is called the law of Christ. And that is that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this, all men will know that you belong to me. John 13, 34 and 35. The law of Christ is the commandment To love one another as Christ has loved us. The only way you can do that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the only way you can live it. And so the Christian life is not lived under a law system. Because let me tell you. Anytime you tell people, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, and you don't do this. What does the law make you do? If you've studied, if you've been in my 2-2 class, you know, we've talked about it. The law makes you sin. Listen, if I'm walking somewhere and it says, do not look through this hole, right? Nobody going to tell me not to look through some hole, right? Anytime somebody tells you not to do something, your flesh, which is the natural part of you, which is the part that sins, the natural part of you automatically wants to do whatever you're told not to do. That's why when it says, don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance, don't do this, your flesh says, I'm going to do every bit of that. I'll do whatever I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's why you can never have victory in the Christian life under a legalistic law system. And some of you have been in churches where you've been taught that all your life and you sit there struggling saying, this is ridiculous. Why do they put all these rules on us? You know why they do? Because they don't think you're mature enough to know how to live. So they have to give you rules to tell you what clothes to wear and where places to go and what kind of games you can play and what kind of movies or no movies that you can see. Because they don't think you're mature enough to be able to know how to live the Christian life. You have the power of the Holy Spirit, not the law, to give you victory. And when you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the love is the law of Christ, which is to love God and love others as Christ has loved you. 
That's the key. That's how you live the Christian life. Don't put yourself under a law system. You're not under law. You're under grace. Powerful truth. So in summary, the law is not for salvation, but to show that man is a sinner and needs a Savior. The Christian life is not lived by law, but the power of the Holy Spirit in love, which is called the law of Christ. Go ahead and go back to 1 Timothy. Okay, 1 Timothy, we're still back at verse 8, where he says, But know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. I want you to understand something. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit verse again? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know how the verse ends? Against such there is no law. Meaning, law can't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Law can't produce that. The Holy Spirit produces that. You want to have victory in the Christian life? You don't put yourself under law. That's what was wrong with Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy and says, These guys are wanting to be law teachers. They want to put people back under Mosaic law and tell them, This is how you live. And Paul says, Don't don't do that. Don't do that. And he's going to tell us what the law is for and how to use it. Okay? But I just wanted you to see those things. Now let's go back again. Verse 8. We know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, here's the key, and this is the thing you've got to understand. The law is for unbelievers, not believers. See, the law can't save you, so it's not for us to live by the law to get saved. And the law doesn't give us the power to live the Christian life, so as a Christian, it's not for us. What we find is the law is for the unbelievers. Notice the verse. Realize the fact, verse 9, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person. Do you know who a righteous person is? A righteous person is one who has believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. Because the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, according to Romans 4, verse 5, to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. The moment you believe in Christ, God gives you his righteousness and you're a righteous person. He says the law is not made for a righteous person. It's not made for the believer. The law is made for the unbeliever. The law is made for those who have not trusted in Christ. And remember the purpose of the law? So that the unbeliever who does wrong, who sins, can realize this is wrong. I can't keep it. I need a Savior. That's what it's all about. See, when you have trusted in Christ as Savior, the the law has fulfilled its purpose in your life. It was to show you that you're a sinner and point you to Christ. Now watch what he does. He says, we know. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for those who kill fathers or mothers or murderers or immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. He says the law is made for those who are living in sin, who are not believers, so that the law can show them that they need a Savior and point them to Christ. The law cannot save. It doesn't have the power to save. The law cannot give us the strength to live the Christian life. It does not have the power. Now, what he does, and I'm going to go through this very quickly. He lists a bunch of sins, a bunch of things that people do wrong. And he's saying the law was made for people who are sinners who need a Savior. And he's going to list a bunch of the sins. Let's look at them. He divides them into two different groups. 
uh, if we can put it there, sins against God and sins against people. Okay, now all sin is against God, but this is how we're breaking it down. Notice, notice first of all, he says, for those who are lawless and rebellious, they actually go in pairs: lawless, rebellious, ungodly sinners, unholy, profane. That's how he did it: lawless and rebellious. To be lawless means that you do not recognize God's word; you don't come under it. Rebellious means that you're on purpose when you say. This might be right and this might be wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. That's how he describes those people. Then he says ungodly and sinners. Ungodly are people who leave out God. That's what it means. To be ungodly leaves out God. Proverbs says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. An ungodly person is a person who says God doesn't have any part in my life. I, I, don't, I don't hold to God. And then it says ungodly and sinners. Sinners means to miss the mark. That they just don't measure up. And then he says, not only that, but for the unholy and profane. Unholy means wicked. means wicked. You know, there's some people that are really wicked, right? Right? The heart is deceitful and wicked. I want to tell you a story about, and this is a true story I read it in the paper about two years ago. This woman was driving and her car kind of messed up and she got to the side of the road and she couldn't get the car all the way off the road and it was kind of almost blocking traffic. So she got out and she thought she'd try to push it. Well, another car pulled up behind her. It was a guy and he got out and said, what you need? She said, my car, i got to get it off the road. And he said, I'll help you. And so while he was pushing, he told her to get on the other side over there and he went around, opened her car, got her purse, stole her purse, got in his car and just drove off. That's wicked. That's wicked. He says that it's for the wicked, the unholy, and the profane. Profane means worldly. It means you just connect it with the world. Now, then he lists those that are against people. Let me show you what he says here. Notice what he says. For those who kill their fathers or mothers are murderers. Literally, it says, father killers, mother killers. I mean, it's, just, it's not honoring the mother and father. It would actually kill them. And then he says, for those who are murderers, that means to take people's lives. He says, the law was made for these people because they need to realize that's wrong and they, need, they, can't, they can't measure up and they need a savior. The next two, look at the next two. Immoral men and homosexuals, they, they go together. Immoral is the Greek word pornea. We get pornography from it. It means illicit sex. It means sexual relations, which either is uh, uh, adultery or fornication. It means any illicit sex between two people. The next word is the word homosexual, and that means illicit sex between two people or of the same sex. These are both wrong. Now, contrary to what you may have read in the Ocali or the Stillwater, or the Stillwater News Press or for what somebody says in this town is another pastor, I want you to understand that, that the Bible says this is wrong. The problem when some people say it's not wrong is because they don't believe the Bible and they don't want to teach you the truth. The truth is that if you are not married and you have, if you're a guy and you're having sexual relations with a girl and you're not married, that's wrong. And if you're a guy and you're having sex with a guy, that's wrong. Either way, it's wrong. Both of them are wrong. We're not picking one out and saying one's worse than the other. They're all wrong. And all Paul is doing in this passage is listing sins that says these are people that need a savior. They need the law is going to show them that these things are wrong so that they'll say, I can't do this and they need a savior. Look at the other two he lists. He lists Liars and perjurers. We know what a liar is. It's a person who doesn't tell the truth. Perjurer is the one who breaks a vow, the one who, who is a false witness, the one who gets up and lies on purpose about something. I read a story about a liar that said that there was a, a little boy and his mother, and he was 10 years old, and he was a pretty big boy for 10 years. But his mother, they were going to get on the bus, and his mother said, you tell the bus driver you're five, because if he got on for five, he wouldn't have to pay. 
So he came up, and here's this little boy coming up, and he says, I'm five. And the bus driver looks at him and says, well, you're either a liar or a giant, one of the two, you know. And sometimes what we are is liars. And so all Paul is doing is listing a bunch of sins, a bunch of things that people do wrong, so that the law says to them, this is wrong, you can't keep it, you need a Savior. Notice how he ends this little part, and he says, and whatever else, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. He says, the law is made for people who violate the Scripture so that they can see they're wrong, they see they can't keep it, and they need a Savior. Look at this. The law pinpoints the problem But look at the next thing. If we'll get it. It may be stuck. There it is. God's grace provides the solution. Look what he says. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. See, we have the good news message of salvation. It's not law. It's grace. It's Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paying for sin and rising again and offering the gift of eternal life simply by faith. It's the glorious truth in contrast to bondage and sin. It is freedom. It is the gospel message. And so he says, this great gospel message, and I hope and pray that all of you understand the gospel, that is Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and you have the privilege of telling people about it. Listen to this. Paul goes at the very end and says, according to this great message of, the, uh, of this gospel message, with which I have been entrusted. Paul says, I've been entrusted with the responsibility to proclaim the gospel message. And that's what he does right there. He says that, According to the glorious gospel, go ahead to the next slide. Paul was given the responsibility to make known the gospel. Do you understand? Every one of us in this room have been given the responsibility by God, if we know Christ as Savior, to proclaim this good news message. That's our responsibility. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. He said he was sent to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light so they would know the truth of salvation. You and I are sent in this community. We go on that campus. We go in this community. We go out throughout the world. We have the great glorious message of Jesus Christ that he died and rose again. And by the way, it is that simple. Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. And he offers the gift of eternal life to anyone who will trust in him. Whoever believes in him has everlasting life. That's the message. He died and rose again. That's the gospel. The response is to believe in him for eternal life. That's the message. Here's the question. Are we faithful when we go out these doors to take that message into this community? Paul says he's been entrusted with this good news message. The same is true for us. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. So what have we seen this morning? We've seen the problem that some people had turned away from the truth and they wanted to be law teachers. They wanted to put people under the law. But the proper use of the law was not for the believer, but it's for the unbeliever. And Paul says that he was entrusted with the gospel message. So let me give you some very quick applications very quickly. Be ready to deal with false teachers and teachings. I talked about this last week. It is expected that that Paul talks about in chapter 4 that in the latter times people move away from the truth. It happened in Ephesus. By the grace of God in the 24 years that I've been here, we have not had anything in this church in which we actually had to go to somebody and say, you cannot teach that, you're teaching something wrong. It's just not happened over these years by the grace of God. And I think a lot of it is because a lot of our people are trained 
trained, they study the Bible, and that whether it's a Sunday school class or a Sunday morning or whatever, a 2-2 or a 412 class, the people teach the Scripture and they hold to the Scripture and not other things. But we've got to be ready. In fact, here's what we have to do. We have to be able to discern. You have to know the Scripture so you can know if somebody's teaching something false. B, you have to be ready to confront if that time ever comes. And C, is you have to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Okay? That's that one. Now, here's the, the, the second application, and this is the key one. Understand the purpose of the law. Have an understanding. The law is not for salvation. Keeping the Ten Commandments, you can't do it. law is not for the Christian life because it has no power. The law is for the unbelievers to show sin and the need for a Savior. That's what the law is for. There's an old saying that says, Man has followed the Ten Commandments, but nobody's ever managed to catch up to them. It's true. Last but not least, be faithful with the gospel message. Make the message clear. I think it should come up in a second. Yeah, make the message clear. We have the greatest message of all. It is not keep the Ten Commandments and you can be saved because you can't keep the Ten Commandments. It is not try to live a good life. It is not get baptized. It is not join a church. It is not any of these things. It is simply faith alone in Christ. He died for you and paid for your sins and rose again and He gives you eternal life. Let me say this. If there's one of you in this room that you have never understood that and that you've always thought it was something you had to do or tried to do or keep on doing that would save you, Today, right where you're sitting, understand that Jesus is the Savior. He died for you. He paid for your sins. He rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life, and it's simply by faith. And right where you're sitting in your chair, you can say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm trusting Him and Him alone to give me eternal life. And you are saved that exact moment, and you are saved forever because He gives you eternal life. I hope and pray all of us. We, 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 we have the privilege of going out these doors into this community with that message. May we be ready for false teachers. May we understand the purpose of the law. And may we proclaim the clear grace message of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what passage. Thank you for this great truth. Thank you, Lord. Help us to understand it. Lord, we want to be able to deal with false teachers and, you know, know what, you know, be ready to, to understand, be discerning, be ready to confront. We want to do that. But, Lord, we, we want to understand the law because we know there's such confusion on how do we live the Christian life. Is it by the Mosaic law? Is it by the keeping the Ten Commandments? Is it What could it possibly be? But, Lord, thank you. That is not the law of Moses, but it is the law of Christ, which is the commandment that he's given to us, that we love others as he has loved us. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of those things, Lord, your love will come through. So may we live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit sharing and living according to the law of Christ. And Lord, finally, may we be faithful with this good news message of salvation. As Paul has been trusted with the gospel, we're entrusted with the gospel. Lord, as we scatter in this community, please use us to tell other people about Jesus. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.